you would, turn to Romans chapter 11, as we continue verses 11 through 24, as we're moving through this, and hopefully, as we said, we'll get through this by the end of the summer, maybe, but uh, uh, we are moving forward. For some of you, you can remember the poem that was written by Robert Burns, a Scottish poet, called to a mouse of all things. One of the famous lines that became a part of our vocabulary was this, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Now, the inspiration for that was basically he was plowing the garden for his dad and he overturned a nest of mice and they were preparing their nest for the winter. And looking upon that, they spent all that time planning and purposing to have a nice, safe, warm place for the winter. So it didn't happen. So he compared mice to humans in that we make plans, but our plans don't necessarily work out or they don't go as we planned. I've heard that statement said when things have been made a mistake, someone made a mistake and they would say, oh, the best laid plans of mice and men and they leave it at that. Fortunately for us, in this text this morning, God's plans never go awry. They are always fulfilled. And when we come to this 11th chapter, especially these few verses, I'm reminded of what Dr. Stephen Lawson stated, that if someone were to ask him to preach extemporaneously on a passage in Romans, he said, this passage would be the very last one I would pick because he said it's almost like watching grass grow. Or as my father used to say when they put the first light in town when he was a boy at in Derricks, Arkansas, they would literally go and stand on the corner and watch it turn green and yellow and red. I said, man, you lived an exciting life, Dad. And he said, yeah, we did, didn't we? But here's the point. This is a little dry in here. Comes some kind of, uh, sometimes it's very, very difficult. But I just want you to understand that when we take the Word of God and make it about men and make it about women and make it about things of how you can use the Scripture for your prosperity, then we've messed up. In other words, there's a lot of those who are teaching using the Bible for basically a self-help book, how to have a better marriage, how to have better kids, how how to have a better life. But if we remember that Scripture's reveal to us God, reveal to us his ways, his glory, his thoughts, his exaltation, his attributes, and his purposes, then we can take even from dry passages, difficult passages, we can find some glory about God. And that's what we have today. So I want you to read along with me for the first two verses. It says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means, rather that through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? 
Remember last week we talked about this, that Paul says that Israel had failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but others were hardened. God gave them a stupor. God gave it, hardens their hearts, allowed them to go ahead and continue in sin to where they could not understand the things of the gospel. So he comes now and says, I asked, did they stumble so that they could? Did they purposely just go ahead and do this just so they could fall? But here's a point I want you to understand. God always has a plan, had a plan, and always has a plan and a purpose for the salvation of his people. Remember, Matthew chapter 1, Jesus, it, uh, it said that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So God always had a plan from the beginning of time and has a plan and a purpose for the salvation of his people. To look at the Greek, really what this is saying, that he's asking this, did they stumble, these Jews, did they stumble that they may fall without recovery? Did they do that? He says, by no means. He's got, God's got a greater purpose, a greater plan, that through their stumbling, the Gentiles are going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to make the Jews jealous. That is stated also in Acts chapter 13. Let me share that with you. Paul was preaching in a certain city, preaching in the synagogue. After he preached, it says that he went out. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke to them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, it says they were filled with jealousy. That's exactly what Paul just said. He said, and this, notice, their trespasses means failure and, and uh, riches for the world. Why? Because they're being made jealous so that some would be saved. As we go back to Acts, it says this. It says, they spoke boldly. They were jealous, began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. And Paul and Barnabas said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Remember, Jesus even said this. Salvation is from the Jews. So Paul was saying, it has been spoken first to you. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So here we see God's plan and God's purpose. He had a plan. He has a plan. He will fulfill all his purpose. The Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And so therefore, God went and brought salvation to another people in order to make the Jews jealous. And we know, notice in verse 12, some of them, not all of them, but some of them will be included in salvation. Now, that word full inclusion in the Greek really means fullness. That's all it means is fullness. How much greater will their fullness mean? What fullness? The fullness of salvation in Christ. 
It is going to be full. It's going to be complete. They will be saved. Now, this is a reference to salvation. Paul states again in verse 13 and 14, listen to what he goes on to say. Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. Now, you remember this church. What was it made of? Jews and Gentiles. It was made up of both of them. So he says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So you see this purpose that God had a plan and has a plan Gentiles are being saved so that Jews would be made jealous in order to save some. How in the world is this applicable to us? Well, if God had a plan and has a plan, guess what he's doing? He is still saving Gentiles and he is still saving Jews. Did you know that? You, if you're not from a Jewish background, are a what? A Gentile. He is still saving Gentiles. And if you understand the signs of the times and things that are happening in our world, there are now 350 to 400 Messianic Jewish churches. Now, this is Messianic Jewish churches in the United States alone. What does that mean? It means these are churches where they were Jews and they became Christians and they formed churches. There's 350 to 400 of those in the United States alone. Is God still saving Jews? Yes, he is. There's an elect. There's, they've obtained it. There's that remnant, and it's happening. Even in Israel, Jewish stronghold, there is 15 to 20,000 Messianic Jews today. There's 20-plus churches that are Messianic Jewish churches existing in Israel as an outreach to the Jews. Worldwide, there's something like 16 to 20, as I was counting them, international ministries just to Jews. Why? Because God is still saving people. And he will continue to save people. That is his plan. That is his purpose. There's no more the best laid plans of mice and men. The best laid plans of God always will be fulfilled. And he's continuing to fill them today. But we go to a second point. We see something about God. God made a promise and God always keeps his promises. Not only does he make plans and keep his plans, he made a promise and he will keep his promise and is keeping his promise. Verse 16, 15, let's go to 15. It says, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy... So is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Here's what's happening. Paul is using this metaphor concerning the first fruits. Israel has not been completely rejected by God. 
there is a remnant. He will keep his promises. He uses that illustration from the Old Testament of first fruits. They were to bring the first fruits of their crops, the first fruits of their livestock, the first fruits even of the dough, that which was made. And when they came and they presented it, it was declared to be holy. So what he is speaking of and when he's using this, it means the first fruits were then holy or set apart. That meant everything else was then set apart as holy. That which wasn't brought as that first fruit offering was still set apart and declared holy by the sacrifice that they gave of the first fruit offerings. So who is the root that he's talking about? The root are the patriarchs. Abraham called, set apart, and he was told that his offspring would be as the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. That is a promise that God gave to them. Those were set apart. His people were set apart. Even though God chose one person, Abraham, he made a promise that it was going to be in effect to all his offspring. They would be blessed in him. So what Paul is telling us is that God still is keeping his promise and will always keep his promise. There is a remnant. But what that tells us as an application for us, all the promises that we have in the Scripture are still active. They are still for us. That is why when he says he will never leave us or forsake us, that is a promise. Guess what? He will never leave us or forsake us. You can take that to the bank. When he says he will forgive our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's a promise. We can take that to the bank. It says, if he was going to complete in you the work that he began since he called you to himself, he is going to complete it. Now, some of us don't think so. Some of us think sometimes we run into this dry area of spiritual life and we say, God is through with us. We don't know what's going on. No, God is not. God says in his scriptures, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day he calls you home. So that's a promise that you can take to the bank. So take that to the bank. God made a promise and he still keeps his promises. As we move on. Here's a third thing about God we learn from this passage. God still opposes the proud. So beware of arrogance and pride in the grace that he has given to you. Now listen to verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree... Do not be arrogant toward the branches. What's he saying? Don't ridicule. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hands on your hips and go, nanny, 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 you're lost, I'm saved. That's what he's trying to tell them. Don't be arrogant towards the branches. Why? The branches, as we said earlier, it says, if the root is holy, so are the branches. If the root is set apart, so are the branches. They're set apart. Here we are. Don't be arrogant towards those Gentiles, is what he's saying. If you are, remember, he says, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. 
Salvation sprang from the root. Don't be arrogant towards that. Verse 19, then you will say branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. See, there's that arrogance. Well, they were terrible. They had no fruit. They were pitiful. They wouldn't do what God says. I do what God says. So they were broken off. I got to get in here. That's what he's warning against. Do not become proud. Don't become arrogant. But as you go on, listen to what it says. Verse 20, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Why do you think he says, but fear? Because he says God hates a proud and a haughty look in the book of Proverbs. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's why we fear. For it says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Some take that verse, understand, some take that verse, and they begin to start saying, well, see there, you can lose your salvation. That's not what this passage is speaking of. He is saying, look, he didn't spare those branches. He didn't spare them because they rejected the Lord Jesus. If you reject the scripture, you reject the Messiah, he's not going to spare you either. So therefore, fear. Have a healthy fear. A reverence with humility. Understand who God is. Which leads us to our fourth point. God always acts according to his nature and his attributes. He won't go against those, dear friends. Because listen to verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. So what is being displayed? What is Paul teaching them? Look, God will bring judgment on those who reject him. He's not just a God of love. We have to take in consideration that he is also a God of severity. In other words, he tells them over and over again through the prophets in the Old Testament that if you do this, you will be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed because God is not mocked. We're going to reap what we sow. And basically what he's saying is that there is a wrath that is going to abide on those who reject Jesus Christ. It's not all love and everybody gets to go to heaven in all the end. You will experience, if you do not know Jesus as Savior, you will experience the wrath of God and you will be cast away from him and experience the judgment of God. That's why he's telling us to fear. He says it's a terrible thing, as the Hebrew writer says, to fall into the hands of a living God. If you don't know him. And here's what he says. Severity towards those who've fallen. Those who've stumbled over the stumbling stone. Who's the stumbling stone? It's Jesus Christ. They wouldn't take him as their savior. They stumbled over that. They fell over that. But it says God's kindness to you. 
provided you continue in his kindness. That's the theme of Paul. If you go through his epistles and you'll understand he mentions kindness several different times a couple of them Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 he said God raised us up with Christ seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus Titus 3 3 through 5 he reminds his colleagues of this, He says, at one time we, were, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We live in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. So listen to what he says, provided you continue in his kindness. Now, what does it mean? It means that we have to continue to work for our salvation. No, that's not what he's saying. Again, when you have to interpret scripture with scripture, when you're dealing with these kind of doctrines, what he is saying, if you continue in his kindness, means that it now has become a part of your life. Jesus Christ has changed you, transformed you, and now you are a new creation, and you are walking in the Spirit and producing fruits such as kindness by the Spirit of God. There are those who will come into a church, and they will profess many things, but in the end, they still will not walk according to the spirit what does that mean hebrews gives us an illustration of that in chapter six go through there and read that it says you have tasted of the lord well when you taste something folks doesn't mean that you take it in and digest it did you know that you can taste some things and spit it out you can taste some things and get a taste of it and go you know that's pretty good i kind of like that little thing but you don't take it in you don't live in it. It doesn't live in you. So therefore, what happens is you make a profession, but the profession doesn't stick. And what he's saying, look, if you're not walking in the Spirit, continually walking in the Spirit, and I understand we walk in the flesh almost every day, but we know that we walk, need, when we, that happens, as Christians, we are convicted of sin. But if we have no conviction of sin, there's no desire to walk in the Spirit. There's no desire for spiritual things. This is what he saying provided you continue in these things and show evidence of the things of God that you are actually saved you're going to be cut off you're going to be cut off from this grace because it's not true for you and we have thousands upon thousands who are doing just that if not millions upon millions of people who will make a profession and then walk away. They've got their ticket. They're good to go. Not according to this. It says otherwise, you too will be cut off. But then he goes back to speak to the Jews. He said, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, 
How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? What is he saying? What he had been saying before. There is a remnant that is left. That if they would come out of their unbelief, that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they had been broken off, they can come back in. In other words, ethnic Israel, those who are in Israel, those who are of Israel, if they, even though they are from the root, are broken off, but at some point come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are grafted back in to the root. They are grafted back in to the tree. Why? Because God has the power to do that. And he will do that and continues to do that. Why? Because God had a plan and has a plan. Now, let me tell you this in conclusion for this. God still has a plan for you. Do you know what it is? To be like Christ. To be like Christ. He has a plan for you. All through Romans, we find out about who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us. And when we come to him, what does he say? God says in chapter 8 that he, basically, God's purpose and plan for your life is to, for him to conform you to the image of Christ. And he will take any means he can to do exactly that, to get you to that place to where you are like Christ. There's another plan that he has for you. You remember in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore and make what? Disciples. The old story is told that Jesus is standing before his disciples and he says, Men, this is what's going to be accomplished. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to send the Spirit of God here, and you are going to go, and you're going to spread the gospel throughout the whole world. You're going to tell people in the highways and the byways, you're going to do everything that you can to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And along the way, you will have tribulation. You will have trials, but that's going to perfect your faith. That's going to make you more like me. This is my plan. Simon Peter, being kind of uh, impetuous, said, okay, what's plan B? And Jesus says, there is no plan B. To this day, guess what? There is no plan B. What's going to happen is his disciples are going to go and they're going to witness because God has had a plan and God has a plan, continual plan, to reach people for him no matter what may come. Folks, understand this. God is still in control. God is still on his throne. God is still executing his plan. You are a part of the plan. If you are saved, you are part of the plan. God had a plan to save you. He did. At a specific time, at a specific place, he saved you. He drew you to himself and he saved you. You are a part of that plan. There are others out there that are a part of his plan. 
but he uses the gospel and the methods of preaching or witnessing, evangelizing, that those people come to know the Lord. So you're part of the plan. Now here's the, th- here's, here's the old saying. Remember, plan your work and what? Work your plan. Okay. Who is it that you're praying for? Who is it that needs the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is it that needs a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ that's in your life? Who is it that you can send a text or make a call or send a card? Who is it there that you know needs the Lord Jesus? Well, God has a plan. No plan B. Guess what the plan is? You. 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 You are the one, just like I am the one, to share the gospel. So we must continue always to share the gospel. So even in this dry little section that we've had here, we see that God is still working. God still fulfills his promises. God still acts according to his nature and his attributes. And God has a plan. Let's get in on it. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for your word. I pray, Lord, that as we go from this place today, Lord, that you would remind us of your plan to use us for the furtherance of the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, to express your attributes through our lives so people will see that we are a follower of you. So, Father, I pray that you would bless this congregation with some divine appointments. Lord, bring people across their lives and my life that we may see that you're working and that we may then share the good news with them. So, Father, I pray for them. Give them boldness of speech, boldness to do what's been on their heart to do concerning their loved ones or their friends. And, Father, that you would carry out that plan, your plan, through them. And I ask it in Jesus' name.